Could everybody please stand for the reading? I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obeyed my Father's commandments and remained in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will be overflow. This is my commitment to love, love each other in the same way I have loved you. But there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, and if you do what I command, I can no longer call you slaves because of a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now, as you are my friends, I sense I have told you everything the Father told me. You don't choose me, I choose you. I appoint you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment. Love each other. Good morning, everyone. So this summer, we're in a series on the Great Commission, these last words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel before he ascends into heaven. And I've talked about how this gives us a mission statement for the church. Let's look at that. We're kind of using various other passages to look at the Great Commission, but let's just go back and read. You can put up that first slide, the Great Commission, so we can remember. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What I want to do today is focus on this line, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I hope you're seeing that uh, by now that this mission statement for the church that Jesus gives to his disciples sounds very similar to our mission statement that we developed this year at Midway Mennonite. You can actually, I have it on the back of, our, of your bulletin. Let's look at that again. It's at the bottom. Midway Mennonite, a welcoming community nurturing followers of Jesus. So hopefully you'll see that today we're mapping onto that word nurturing. We as a congregation seek to be a place that nurtures disciples of Jesus. And I think this, this, this word nurture is important because it captures a couple different things. One, and we've been getting at this, especially a little bit more the last couple weeks, we want to go out and make disciples. We want to call people to make a commitment to Jesus, to make a decision to receive Jesus' forgiveness. But it reminds us that discipleship is a whole life thing. Sometimes people have called, at least one person has called uh, the Great Commission the Great Omission. Because oftentimes we as a church have maybe put a lot of emphasis on the going out 
uh, getting people to make a decision, maybe getting them across some kind of line, whatever that line is, get them to say a prayer, get them baptized, get them a ticket to heaven. And there's been a great omission of this next line that Jesus says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded. If anything, it's just kind of just as tacked on at the end. But the main thing is to get them across the line and then teach them to obey everything I have commanded. It just kind of drops out. And yet Jesus is very clear that, that when you say yes to Jesus, you are launched into a lifetime adventure of following Jesus, of conforming your life to his commands, of being transformed by the Holy Spirit into his image. So what I want to look at is this one line. I want to start with this word teach. Oftentimes Jesus is identified as various offices, uh, prophet, priest, and king. These were offices in the Old Testament that people were anointed for. So we profess, for example, that Jesus is a prophet, right? He, he came to earth and spoke on behalf of God. He's our high priest. Jesus is the one that reconciles us to God through his atoning sacrifice on the cross. And he's our king. He's the one we owe our allegiance to. And he's our teacher. I think sometimes that maybe is the role that, uh, I think in our tradition we've stressed that, but sometimes that gets dropped. Jesus is also our teacher, which means we are the students, we're the learners. That's what disciple means, right? We've talked about this. A disciple is a learner. To be a disciple of Jesus is to sit under Jesus' teachings. And so at the end of Matthew, Jesus is sending out disciples to go out and replicate themselves. And, and one of the key parts of doing that is to pass on these teachings that he has given them, to teach what they've been taught. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we should be kind of like, so we're in, the, we're in the Gospel of Matthew. When we hear that, teach them to obey everything I've commanded, we should, in our minds, go back to a large block of teaching in Matthew. What is one of the, I think, the largest block of teaching in Matthew's Gospel that we spent a lot of time with? Remember what that is called? The Sermon on the Mount, right? We've got three just straight chapters of just red. If you've got a, a red-letter Bible, you just see this huge block of red, and it's teaching after teaching after teaching. So it's interesting, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, he's actually sending his disciples in some ways back to the Sermon on the Mount. Because that is, as I've tried to make the case for you, our handbook for discipleship. Jesus says, famously, anyone who wants to come after me, be my disciple, let him take up his cross and follow me. But that begs the question, what does that mean to follow Jesus? Like, what does that look like on the ground, practically, to follow Jesus? And there's no better place to go back to find that out than the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus says, go. We talked about that last week. We're going to go out, baptize. We'll come back to that in just a couple weeks. That's the entryway into the church, into discipleship. Uh, and then, But he doesn't stop there. He says, teach them what I taught you. Uh, if you're following the Midway uh, Reading Bible Plan, this year we're in the Old Testament, and then we've got a gospel reading every day. We've actually been in the Old Testament for several years. Why? Because the Old Testament matters. You can't understand who Jesus is if you don't have the backstory. Right? The Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, was Jesus' Bible. It mattered to him. He was informed by it. He taught from it. He memorized it. He quoted it back to the devil. The Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, matters. It matters to us because it matters to Jesus. Right? It's one of the reasons why we're spending time in the Old Testament. 
But I want to make a case to you that we should never be far from the teachings of Jesus. Like if we've gone months and months and months in a part of the Bible, that's again, that's good, but we have not been in the Gospels, I would say we need to anchor ourselves more in the teachings of Jesus and in the Gospels. Why? Because what does Jesus command? He says, do what, he says, teach them what I commanded. And the only way we're going to know what Jesus commanded is if we are studying Jesus' teaching. So something I would encourage you to do today, frequently, is just ask yourself, what is Jesus teaching me right now? Right? If, if, if being a follower of Jesus is this lifetime process of sitting under Jesus' teachings, we should always find ourselves in a season where Jesus is teaching us something. Whether you're in your 90s or you are newly... Uh, new disciple of Jesus. Jesus is he's teaching you. As, as Rich likes to say, if you're, if you're not green and growing, you are dead and dying. Is that your words, Rich, or is that your boss's? Someone else's will give you credit, right? We need to be growing as disciples. We need to be learning. We don't want to stagnate because discipleship doesn't end at a certain point. It ends when you take your last breath. So what is Jesus teaching you right now? What is he teaching us as a community? Right? We're always following Jesus as a community. Let's be clear about something else, too. We need to teach Jesus' commands. Right? So this is important. We don't go out and then begin to teach our own thoughts or our own commands. Right? Uh, think about uh, the game Telephone, which I'm sure you've all played. Right? You sit in a circle. One person tells the other person something. And it goes around the circle. And oftentimes, what's humorous about that game is that by the end, it looks nothing like what the first person said, right? There's no connection at all. And I feel like that is what happens with Jesus' teachings. The farther you get away from listening to Jesus' teachings, the more likely it is to get distorted. Right? So you can find lots and lots and lots of people who are claiming to speak on behalf of Jesus. In some ways, I'm doing that right now, right? You need to go back to the source and make sure, is this what Jesus is saying? Let me just give you, like I could give you like a lot of examples. But let me give you one example from this week, how I sensed that. I was on the computer, and this ad pops up for an event in Pittsburgh that advertises itself as America's number one Christian wealth creation event. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, what is this? I'm going to look at this. A one-day life-changing event where thousands of local Christians gathered to learn why and how to create and multiply financial resources for kingdom impact. Not surprisingly, lots of celebrities. Like, we as Americans, we love wealth and we love celebrities. And if you can combine wealth and celebrities together, you've got a great event. But I've got to go back and see, like, does that map onto the Sermon on the Mount? Because if I go to the Sermon on the Mount, I remember the, the opening... Uh, lines of the Sermon on the Mount said, did not say blessed are the wealthy, did not say blessed are the successful, did not say blessed are the celebrities, did not say blessed are those who hunger and thirst for wealth. It's the complete opposite, right? Somehow we flipped that totally around where Jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, not for wealth, for righteousness. Right? So, so just, that's just one example of something how we flipped it all around where we actually begin to celebrate what Jesus actually warns us about. And I could give many examples of that. My point is, the farther you move away from Jesus' teaching, 
the more likely you're going to get a distortion, and it might even be a complete reversal. You get a Jesus who actually doesn't care at all what you do with your life or your body. You get a Jesus who has nothing to say about money. You get a Jesus who demands nothing of you. That is very far removed from the Jesus of the the gospel. So we've got to keep going back to Jesus' words to remind us what are Jesus' teachings. But it's not just for us. Remember, again, we're, we're looking at the Great Commission. We're looking at those who are assigned to go out and make disciples. Uh, and, and I think one of the fair questions is, well, how do I do that? Hey, Matthew, you've been telling me all this stuff. I need to go out and make disciples. It's not just your job. It's not just the leadership team's jobs. It's my job, but what do I do? It's a big question. I'm not going to answer it today. But I think one way that you can do is just start reading the Bible with somebody. Nothing, that's not a fancy. I didn't make this up. It's not my idea. Read the Bible. Read a gospel with somebody. Because if you sit down and read a gospel with someone, you're taking them directly to Jesus. It's not like we have a tendency to kind of, I said, warp and misuse Jesus' words. But there's more of a chance that we're going to get at the heart of it if we take them. I think the gospel of Mark is a great place to start. It's a fast-paced Um, it's good for people who are not familiar with the Bible, and it takes them to the person who's at the center of our faith, Jesus Christ. I've asked people, would you be interested in reading through the Gospel of Mark with me? And almost always I think they're going to be like, no way. No one has ever said no to me. There are people that will not darken the door of this church. There are people that do not want to listen to me preach. (laughs) One of them actually kind of told me that. But they'll study the Bible with me. It's amazing. It's different because we're engaging with Scripture together. It's different than listening to a sermon. It's not a passive experience. You're actually dialoguing. Uh, they get to hear directly from Jesus. They don't encounter my teachings. They encounter Jesus' teaching. And it's what's amazing to me. As much as we have done to make Jesus look bad in the church, somehow Jesus still has a really good reputation. Like, generally, my experience is that people admire Jesus, and they're very open to learning from Jesus. You don't need to go to seminary to do this. You don't need to be Ernest Martin to do this. You can say, hey, would you be interested in reading the Gospel of Mark with me? And just see what they say. I can help you, uh, give you a structure. Usually, it helps to take it over a long period of time to do it slowly. I can help you think about that. You're going to run into things that you don't understand in the Gospel of Mark. I'm just using Mark as an example. There's other places you can go. You're going to run into questions you can't answer. One, it gives you the chance to model humility. I don't know. Let's, let's keep looking. Let's keep searching. Two, it allows you to learn from someone else. I have learned so much from reading the Bible with other people. They will see things that you miss. Like, I was reading the Bible, the Gospel of Mark, with one, one person in particular, and he kept seeing, like, demons everywhere. I was like, what in the world? I go back, there's demons everywhere in the Gospel of Mark. I just don't see it. Why do we, with Anabaptists, why do we gather around Scripture together? Because we interpret together. Because we need each other to understand Scripture. So you're going to learn as they learn. Part of being a disciple is passing on Jesus' teachings. I think one of the best ways to do that is to read Scripture with them. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just a teaching thing. It's an obeying thing. Uh, think about this word obedience. 
Jesus is crystal clear to be a disciple of Jesus is to obey his commands. Uh, in fact, what Jesus is really clear about is that love is inseparable from, loving him is inseparable from keeping his commands. Uh, this, this, uh, this passage that Cindy read, it comes in the upper, what we know as the upper room discourse. This is another big block of teaching by Jesus, this time in the Gospel of John. Uh, this one, the setting's different, though. Sermon on the Mount is on a mountain. There's other people who are not disciples there. Uh, it's out in this open space. This is in an intimate area. This is, this is with Jesus with his disciples. And it's at Passover, and he's going to die the next day. Right? These are words of a dying man. Think about you and your loved ones. There's something you probably attach significance on those last words you heard in the days or the weeks ahead of their death. These are words of a dying man. And they carry a special significance. And if you notice, the one thing Jesus keeps saying in that is that if you're gonna, if you love me, keep my commands. Let's put up that slide. We can just, this is just a short block of teaching uh, that I want you to see these various places. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commands. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus is just crystal clear. Love for him and obedience for him, they cannot be separated. Now think back to the Sermon on the Mount. How does Jesus end that sermon? Two guys, each of them have the same information, the same teaching. One puts it into practice, the other doesn't. That's the only difference. It's not the teaching, it's who's putting it into practice. Because Jesus is teacher, absolutely, and he is Lord. He's the one who expects obedience. So let's talk about that word obedience. Because I recognize for some of us, maybe that's an exciting word. For some of us, that word just makes us feel like, ugh. I don't like that word. I had a conversation with someone just the other day who told me, yeah, I don't like that word. It reminds me of people like my dad in not a great way. But I just want to say, if obedience conjures up negative feelings with you, that is very understandable. Why? Because obedience involves Power, and power, as we know, is very, very often abused. Most of you will have a story, whether it be in your job, whether it be in a church, whether it be in a relationship, where you have experienced the abuse of power, where you have seen where things go badly wrong when someone is asked for blind obedience. So I just want to say, it is very understandable. If the word obedience conjures up kind of a negative feeling, that's okay. So why should we do this? Why should we do this obedient thing to Jesus? Well, think about the way kingdoms work then and now. Most of the time you have a kingdom, you don't have a choice who your king is. Your king is your king. Not with Jesus. Again, if you're reading a Midway's Bible plan this week, we happen to get on the temptations of Jesus in Luke's gospel by the devil. What's so interesting about those temptations is that one of the main things the devil is trying to tempt Jesus to do is to tempt him to think about how he's going to exert power. The devil takes him to a high place, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and says, if you worship me, I can give you all their authority. All, their authority. Jesus, all the authority is rightfully due to Jesus, right? What is wrong with all the kingdoms of the world giving their authority to Jesus? It's the means. How is Jesus going to take that power? Is he going to do it by, this, by the devil's method, or is he going to rule in a different way? 
Jesus rejects the power that's offered to him by the devil because that is not how he's going to become king. How does Jesus bring people under his lordship with power and might and armies? No. When we see Jesus going out and announcing his kingdom, he's healing the sick, he's casting out demons, he's freeing people from the bondage of sin, he's washing feet, he's doing it through suffering. The king gives his life up for his subjects. What a strange thing. Just think about that. It is a strange thing when, when, when a king's enthronement happens on a cross. That is not your normal kind of king or lord. Usually, most people use power for our own benefit. Jesus is the opposite. Jesus has all the power. I mean, we talked about that um, earlier on in the Great Commission. All power and authority has been given to me. How does he use it? He uses it for the good of others. Like, this is a completely upside-down way of ruling. And it's even hard for his own disciples to get this. They do not understand this. Right? There's a scene where, where the sons of Zebedee are with Jesus, and they want to rule on his left and right. And Jesus is like, you guys don't get it. You, you want to lord over people. You want power. That's not how we're doing it. We do it through service. And in the upper room discourse, this last discourse before his death, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus is saying, look, there's nothing I can do to show you I love you more than to lay down my life. And that's exactly what I'm going to do tomorrow. We say yes to Jesus' authority because he does not rule like the other kings and lords of the world. And because paradoxically, this is a paradox, the more we submit our lives to the lordship of Jesus, the more we actually move into a life of freedom. See, what, you, what you, I think you learn as you, as you try out these different masters and you try worship things is that if you don't put your life under the lordship of Jesus, you will put your life under the lordship of something. Security, your family, your money, your toys, your work. And they are terrible rulers. I think one of the people who understood this better than often many Christians, I don't think he, he didn't profess to be a Christian, was the American novelist David Foster Wallace who in a famous 2005 commencement speech said this. It's a little bit long, but I want to read it because it's so good. David Foster Wallace speaking to a college. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it J.C. or Allah, be it Yahweh or Wiccan Mother Goddess, or the Four Noble Truths, or some inviolable state set of ethical principles, is that pretty much, listen to this, anything else you worship will eat you alive. Great line. Anything else you worship will eat you alive. And then he starts to list examples. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's a truth. Worship the body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid. Worship intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Foster, again, didn't claim to be a Christian, understood what we so often miss. You will worship, you will serve something, and you have to choose what you're going to serve. It is not a question under whose lordship you put under. 
uh, whether you will, it's whose lordship and authority. And I submit to you that the only lordship you can trust is Jesus. Because he calls us friends. Go, go back to the, you can put up the next slide. Go back to the passage Cindy read. Listen to this, this is beautiful. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Think about that if you're a servant, some translations translate slave. You're certain, you just do what you're told. You don't ask questions. You are expected as a servant slash slave to blindly follow the instructions that are given to you. That's expected. Jesus does this crazy thing where towards the end of his life, after he's been with these men now almost three years, he gathers around and he says, you know what, you are my friends now. Why? How are these guys Jesus' friends? I'm bringing you into my thinking. I'm not going to just ask you to blindly follow me like robots. right? That, think about what you do with Alexa or Siri or your dog. You tell them what to do and they do it, right? Although sometimes Alexa does, sometimes they don't. But most of the time they do, right? You tell them what to do and they do it, right? Imagine if, if God in his, in created, wanted to create a bunch of creatures that just blindly obeyed him like robots. He could have done it. He doesn't. What he does do is give us the ability and show us without a doubt that we can trust him and, and we become friends with God. He brings us in, he shows us his motives, his purposes, his plans, and therefore we can trust him. Think of, I, one of the ways I understand this as, is as a parent. Right? So I, as a parent of young children, have a, some amount of authority over my children with my wife. And there are different ways uh, to use that authority. One is just to ask my kids for blind obedience. Like, I'm just going to tell you what to do, don't question it, just do it. And I've definitely taken that approach with my kids before. There might, there might be times and stages of life that that's appropriate. I'm not saying that. But if I'm honest, oftentimes when I'm asking for blind obedience, I'm doing it to make my life easier. I just want to go to bed. I just want some peace and quiet in the house. I ask for obedience because it benefits me, and I've realized that. What is Jesus teaching me? Jesus is teaching me. I mess up as a parent a lot. The way harder thing to do as a parent than ask for blind obedience is to take the way of curiosity and of patience, to listen to that child, to get to know them, to get to them, know them as an individual, their needs, their fears, their hopes, their motivations. And in doing that, in love, help them to understand why you're asking them to do what you're asking. That takes work. That takes time. That takes patience. That is way harder than just telling a child to blindly obey you. But what is it, and many of you experience this with your own adult children, what is it that it develops over time when you have that relationship? Right? Are you still, those of you who are in your 70s, are you still telling your son or daughter to blindly obey you? Probably not. I think at its best you have something closer to friendship, Right? As that relationship matures with your child, it, becomes, it doesn't that the, the bond dissolves as a parent-child, but it's something closer to friendship. And it's beautiful, right? This is the fruit of obedience to Jesus. It's that our relationship becomes something like friendship with God. And it opens us up to joy. Keeping the commands of Jesus yields joy. Let's look at one last passage uh, from our reading. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Listen to this line. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You can't miss this. Jesus asked for obedience. Why does that Jesus ask for obedience? Because he knows that's the path that leads to joy. Complete joy. One person put it this way. Perfect obedience would be perfect happiness if only we had perfect confidence in the power we are obeying. Perfect obedience would be perfect happiness if only we had perfect confidence in the power we are obeying. The promise to follow Jesus is not a promise to a trouble-free life. In fact, Jesus says, same discourse in John, if you want to be my disciple, you should expect trouble in the world. Following Jesus in some ways, in many ways, makes your life more complicated than less complicated. Following Jesus makes your life harder than it makes it easier. Because you are asked to die to yourself. But you are asked to die to yourself so that you can walk a path of obedience that he commands because that leads to life. Because that leads to joy. None of those other paths are going to lead you to life and joy. They might look easy on the outside. They are not going to lead you to life and joy. Jesus' path, Jesus is going to lead you to life and joy. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for coming to us in the person of Jesus to be our prophet, our priest, our king, and our teacher. To lay out for us what it means uh, to, to walk the path of freedom and joy. Thank you that you did not use power like so many others for their own benefit, but that you gave up your power and love for the benefit of us. And may we do the same. Give us courage to teach what we have been taught, and courage to go out to know and love and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.